0: I've been wanting to do this my whole life.
1: That's what Chris Harper Mercer essentially said. Well, right before he shot and killed 10 people, along with himself, on the beautiful Rolling Hills, the Umpqua campus in Roseburg, Oregon. I'm America's digital pro, Kim Commando. And this is a podcast that provides in-depth insight on the ever-changing technology landscape and the impact it has on our lives. You're going to hear from tech industry experts, movers and shakers, And in this podcast, Chris Harper Mercer, he was an avid gamer. He's just one of a growing number of mass shooters who are also into violent video games. So there's always the question, is there a connection somewhere? Well, as it turns out, yes, there is a connection. Playing violent video games is a regular routine in the life of a mass shooter, or it seems like. Research clearly indicates that many killers were and are addicted to violent video games and in this podcast we're going to take a closer look at the statistics we're going to speak to an expert guest in the criminal justice system about what exactly may be drawing violent video games into a real life of crime and before we get to all of that a special thank you goes out to our partners in this podcast because they help us make it possible While violent crime, quote unquote, is decreasing, mass shootings are getting deadlier and it seems like more frequent. The FBI reports that active shooter incidents have more than doubled from the year 2000 to 2015. Think about that. When you were in school, you had fire drills, right? Well, kids nowadays, They have violent shooter drills. That's right, the kids are taught what to do if somebody comes into their school, a place that was supposed to be safe, with a gun intending to kill. Four of the deadliest shootings in the United States history have been within the last five years. The gunmen, and I do say men because all but three of the shooters were in fact men, had unstable backgrounds or they had a criminal record of some sort. And the other thing that they had in common, well, it was gaming. In fact, Chris Harper Mercer was pretty well known in the gaming community. As he planned his mass murder, he was encouraged by his online pals to actually go through with it. After this horrible deed was done, he ended the game by, well, ending his own life. Gamers referred to the kill as a score, even going so far as to express disappointment that... He hadn't actually taken out any more victims. Wow. So back to the original question. Is there an actual correlation? Is there a link between violent video games and a murder? The answer is yes. Here are just some of the killings that are officially linked with gaming. And again, this does not include homicides and suicides. Remember the Sandy Hook elementary school shooter, Adam Lanza? He loved to play violent video games in his bedroom. And Evan Ramsey, after killing a student and wounding others, he told investigators, get this, he told the investigators he had no idea that when he shot someone, a person, they wouldn't get back up. In his favorite video game, Doom, he said that if you shoot a guy once, he gets back up. You gotta shoot something eight or nine times in doom before it stays down. Anders Bering Brevik, who shot and killed 68 people at a Norwegian Labour Party youth camp and another nine in a bombing incident, not only liked playing video games, but actually trained for his murderous mission by playing a really popular video game. you probably heard about it. The name of the video game is Call of Duty. Then there's James Holmes, He stormed into a theater during The Dark Knight Rises. He played numerous video games. One of his favorites was World of Warcraft. And then Elliot Roger, who killed himself and seven other people, was addicted to violent video games. As he put it, hiding myself in the World of Warcraft where I felt comfortable and secure. And it doesn't stop there. Nehemiah Griego killed his family. A total of five people. When he was arrested, He told crime investigators with some degree of enjoyment he actually loved playing violent video games. But I'm not done yet. Jacob Tyler Roberts, he was acting out a scene he played in Grand Theft Auto. 12-year-old Jose Reyes was a fan of violent video games, watching them for months before killing himself and a teacher at Sparks Middle School. Jared Lee Loeffner, who killed six people and wounded Arizona politician Gabrielle Giffords. Well, guess what? He, too, was an avid gamer. Eric Harris, Dylan Storm Roof, Jeff Weiss. The list goes on and on, folks. A study done at Ohio State University concluded with this finding. And let me read it to you. People who have a steady diet of playing these violent video games may come to see the world as a hostile and violent place. There could be a cumulative effect in making video game players more aggressive and violent over both the long term and the short term. You see, thousands of studies like these have been done, and they all come to very similar conclusions. Now, before you sit there and say, oh, she doesn't know what she's talking about. I play video games. I love video games. You know, the list goes on and on. I'm not bagging on video games. But there is something about them that seems to attract would-be or soon-to-be killers. That seemed to be the case in the horrific Warcraft text murders. The killers, Cameron Moffat and Cruz Wellwood, not only played this game all the time, they used the gaming site to post gruesome details about what they actually planned to do to their victim. And their victim was a schoolmate, a girl by the name of Kimberly. After Cameron and Cruz killed Kimberly, they used the site to brag about what they've done. The details weren't out there in the open. The details were in this code that they had. But detectives were able to use an amazing combination of linguistics and texts to actually track down the voice. Experts now believe that the killer's love of that game, the world of Warcraft, may have been a huge contributing factor in the murder of Kimberly. And you don't want to miss part two of this podcast, because we're going to take a look at that case in detail and describe the tactics that investigators use to put these guys away and what they can tell about a person with just a few lines of text. It's absolutely amazing. Short form text to a linguistics detective is what A drop of blood is to a DNA analyst. It literally paints a picture of the person that they're looking for. Now, I know that murder is a very disturbing topic. But because it's prevalent right now, I think it's so important for us to know the psychological profiles and the video gaming habits that may lead to something more dangerous. We're going to get right to that. But stay right where you are, because we have a quick message from one of our podcast sponsors. Okay, welcome back. I want you to meet retired law enforcement officer and criminal justice professor, a gentleman by the name of Tim Dees. Tim has this extensive experience in the criminal justice system. He's an expert technical writer and consultant for the police force. Hey Tim, welcome to Commando On Demand.
0: Well, thank you for inviting me, Kim.
1: Tim, in most of these shooter and murder cases, the news reports casually mention that the killer played World of Warcraft or something like Warcraft. So with all of your experience in law enforcement, particularly as a tech writer, you must have some sort of opinion about the tie between gaming and violent crimes. I'm not asking you for statistics. I can get those anywhere. I'm asking for your opinion. What does your gut say based on what you've seen in your career?
0: Well, there is some evidence that computer gaming with violent themes desensitizes the gamers to violence. There's a retired Army lieutenant colonel named Dave Grossman who's written two fairly well-subscribed books called On Combat and On Killing, and he talks about the psychological effects of being in combat and the effects on people that have to kill other people as part of their job. One observation he made was that up until the Vietnam War, troops in combat frequently talked about firing their rifles over the heads of the enemy on the battlefield because they were so strongly sensitized not to kill the enemies, even though the other guy is shooting at them, who might have also been shooting over their heads as well. Troops in the Vietnam War didn't report doing that. And one big change in training between the Korean and Vietnam Wars with U.S. forces was the change from bullseye targets on the rifle range to using silhouette targets showing the outline of a man. Grossman believes that the change in basic training desensitized troops to killing and made it easier for them to do so on the battlefield.
1: Wow, so soldiers were able to kill easier when the target looked more human? You know, you have to wonder, how does that affect gamers who play for hours upon hours at a time? I have personally seen numerous cases where computer gamers who
0: mastered games like Call of Duty and Close Combat convinced themselves that they were now hardened combat vets They were prepared to go directly onto the battlefield, skipping any military training. And for the most part, these are people who are your typical computer gamers. They've never fired a real rifle or walked more than a mile or two, but they still viewed basic military training as just being superfluous for them. So the immersive experience of that game can lead to that sort of delusional thinking.
1: I can totally see why. The games are designed so that the player believes He is an actual expert, not at the game, but whatever the character is doing in the game. He can be a national hero without ever having to leave the couch. So along those lines, do you believe that a criminal is born a criminal? Or do you think playing video games like Warcraft or Call of Duty or the others, does it actually open up channels in the brain that might propel someone to actually, say, enter a life of crime? For instance, in Warcraft, War Crimes, some of the characters are war criminals. So do you think that a mild-mannered person could assume a war criminal persona and then maybe develop a morbid obsession, if you will, for harm and murder? I think anyone can be shaped by their environment, although
0: some personalities are more prone to influence than others. Most of us choose role models while we're growing up, even if we don't realize that we're doing it. A powerful character in a computer game, even one that might be evil, could be a role model in the same way that a comic book character could be. What I've read is that, Psychopaths are born where sociopaths are made. Psychopaths have some organic differences in brain function that causes them to lack guilt or shame over doing bad things, where sociopaths are simply conditioned to lack guilt or shame. And certainly one's environment would play a role in that conditioning. This World of Warcraft murder seems to have both examples. Uh, Bruce Wellwood was the son of a violent murderer and may have inherited the psychopathic traits from his father where Cameron Moffitt was apparently sexually molested when he was very young, and he was poorly socialized during his upbringing. So the two boys then focused on their victim, Kim Proctor, who was insecure and uh, likely crave for any male attention. So the three of them were close to a perfect storm for a violent, exploitative crime.
1: It was totally the perfect storm. What I'm really curious about is, how much do technological advances have to do with the frequency of violent crimes? Do you have any knowledge about that?
0: Well, violent crime in the United States has actually been in a downward trend since it peaked in 1991. Coincidentally, that's about the time that computer games were taking hold in a big way. We're presently at about the same level of violent crime that we were in 1968 in terms of crime rates. Although those of us old enough to remember 1968 know that was a very turbulent year for the United States.
1: But crime certainly has gone up in terms of black market trading, theft, child pornography and cybercrime. Do you think technology itself has enabled those who wouldn't be able to commit, say, a street crime, to commit crimes online?
0: Cybercrime is a relatively new phenomenon that wasn't easily done before the internet. Child pornography has always been around the sexual exploitation of children, but mainly because the internet provides such an able conduit for it. The business model that proved the economic viability of the internet was pornography. It became quickly apparent that people would pay to have downloadable and streaming images and video piped right to their desktop. It made the consumer anonymous and all but eliminated the need to visit a sex shop or order from catalogs. But one negative consequence to the proliferation of online gaming communications and social media is the expanded role of the bully. Before the internet, being a bully meant that you had to be physically or socially powerful, but now you only have to appear to be powerful and reasonably skilled. The nerdiest, most socially awkward or puny person can be a successful bully if they can acquire sufficient computer skills and an online following. And the capacity to become powerful, even if it's only in a virtual world, is a huge entitlement for someone who has not been popular in a real world environment. It's given the poorest and the weakest a voice that can reach anywhere in the world, and it enables the skilled criminal to commit huge acts of fraud theft.
1: Yeah, I get it with technology. Well, anybody can be a tough guy. Anyone can be a bad guy. In the old days, not everyone was actually physically able to, say, rob a bank. Technology has essentially leveled the playing field. And unfortunately, some kids have absolutely no idea how to detect a real physical threat. I mean, one day they're, say, chatting with a new friend online, and two weeks later they're recruited into, gosh, something awful like sex trafficking and the parents are sitting back saying, hey, how did any of this happen?
0: If you ask cops what changes they would make on society if they were able to do so, a really common answer would be mandate better parenting. Parents have to have the courage to risk making their children angry while keeping them from making bad decisions. A friend of mine signs his emails uh, with a closing line of, life is full of choices, but choices have consequences. Parents can and should supervise their children's computer activity just as they should know where their children are when they're away from home and who they're hanging out with. If they regard that as an invasion of privacy, the kids will have to learn the lip of it until they can provide their own computer internet access.
1: So Tim, what are you doing now?
0: Well, most of the work I do these days is as a uh, technical writer for PoliceOne.com. And if you put my name in in Google or on Police One, you'll see a page dedicated to the articles I've written for them, there are several hundred of them. And I occasionally do some consulting for tech companies, particularly those that market with law enforcement. Anyone who wants to reach me, my email address is basically my name, Tim at TimDees.com.
1: Thanks, Tim. Lots of great info there. I so appreciate your time and being on the podcast with us.
0: Well, thank you, Kim, and you have a great day. So
1: it appears to be a huge connection between violent video games and mass murder. But the connection isn't only forged by the game. It has to do with many factors. So make sure you stay aware of what's going on with the folks in your life. You want to be alert to clues, and they're usually everywhere, especially in technology. And these clues are really going to surprise you. That's why you want to listen to part two, because all the clues are in that podcast. When people commit heinous crimes like Cameron Moffat and Cruz Wellwood, it's so good to see them come to justice. But wouldn't you rather see people like that stopped before they have a chance to do what was done to Kimberly? Such a young, beautiful woman with so much potential. My hope is that in this podcast and part two, your eyes will be open just a bit more to the clues around you and to the technique experts are using to stop killers before they have a chance to strike. And remember, on the flip side, there's also a connection between gaming technology and real life skills. Pilots, astronauts, EMTs, drone pilots, military personnel, government, the National Guard, medical students, they all use this very same technology to become better at what they do. And that's why I love technology. A big thank you goes out to our expert guest, Tim Dees, for being an essential part of this podcast. And be sure you also listen to part two. It's a little bit difficult to listen to, but you're going to learn a lot. Part two is about learning how to spot this behavior before it even happens. And if you like this podcast, you know what to do. Do me a huge favor. Head over to iTunes, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a great five-star rating. And if you're so inclined, just say a couple of words great about the podcast because that helps our podcast rise in the ratings and then that's how more people find our podcasts. Thanks for joining us.